Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Vegan Proteins, Muscles by Brussels Radio. My name is Giacomo. And I'm Danny. And this is our 26th episode. pretty cool 26 episodes it's been going for a while right when we first started this i you know i wasn't i just i knew we were going to keep going with it but it's kind of come a long way actually and it's nice to look back and realize that we've been doing this for a little while and going on 26 episodes that's cool anyway things have been all right over here uh, it's finally getting warmer although i'm still arguably a little colder than i'd like to be i guess as a consequence of being too lean i don't know if that's humble brag or anything like danny likes to call it but it's just total humble brag <laughs> whatever <laughs> i'm I mean... so lean that i'm still really <laughs> cold anyway so this is our this is going to be our second time attempting gardening together in seven years because i guess we just haven't had a yard to garden in for a while huh no we've been when we lived in portland oregon we had a yard a couple of times and that was just like a huge failure at gardening, which is really embarrassing because if there's ever a place to be able to garden really well, you'd think it would be the Pacific Northwest. But for some reason, I think our yard was just like made out of rocks and roots and stumps and shit, but nothing came up. <laughs> That's no, you're full of shit. I distinctly remember about seven strawberries and two <laughs> stalks of collard greens and they were delicious. I don't remember any collard greens. You just made that up. It was like bad lettuce. Uh, support yeah anyway now we have this giant giant yard and it gets beautiful sun and it's finally starting to get warm enough outside and quite frankly i just i've really really needed like a refuge from my computer for lack of a better way to put it i'm just in front of my computer all day every day and it's kind of like even though i work with people constantly it's a like a little bit dehumanizing to never actually uh, not be in front of a screen nah. so getting to go outside and work on planting vegetables and fruits and stuff in our own yard has been really really relaxing and refreshing and i've been getting really into it so hopefully so hopefully something good comes of this and it doesn't just equate to like danny playing in the dirt all spring for no reason whatever i mean it's like as a society right now i think it's gotten to the point where it's absolutely ridiculous how much we are dependent upon looking at screens, whether it's the screens on our phones that keep getting larger and more interactive, or the screens on our computers, or our TVs. I don't know about you, but... See here, I thought you were going to say it's important in this society to actually like learn a skill for when the zombie apocalypse comes. Like, <laughs> Because I already have like a team in mind for when the apocalypse happens, which I believe could happen via zombie, and uh, we all have to have certain skills, and I figure I need to make myself useful. Like, nobody needs a personal trainer in the apocalypse. Although I think it's pretty important to be fit in the apocalypse, because you need to be able to run. Yeah. But I can't run, <laughs> so... I mean, if The Walking shoot. Dead is any indication of what you need to do, I, th I think only having gardening skills and not actual, like, Kick-ass fighting skills will only serve you so much until you're just serving the fighters. But anyway, fear not, because mm. I have a plan for us. 
I have a plan. Right. Don't worry, guys. You should all make your own plans as well. Yeah. Just, uh, I don't trust the society to, to live on much longer at this pace. Anyway, uh, we digress. Mm. So what what have you been up to, Giacomo? More pertinent to uh, what this podcast is actually about, training. I am getting deeper and deeper into focusing more on powerlifting, and I am really enjoying it a lot more than I thought I would, actually. In the beginning, it got a little, I don't want to say depressing, but uh, maybe, you know, a little sad, a little boring, because I I was, was not getting a pump like I would with more hypertrophy-style training, higher rep ranges, and... And I sort of missed that. I'm like, Danny, I'm not getting a pump anymore. Am I still making progress? <laughs> it's like the broiest shit I've ever heard. I know, but still, anyway, you got to be interested in what you're doing, right? But what I found was I would get into these lower rep ranges and I would sort of fail instantly. The bar just would move or it wouldn't. And they say strength is a skill. And the more that I've been doing this, I've been able to increase the amount of time that I can push while I'm in these lower rep ranges. And I find that that's what I've been focusing on for training, i.e. powerlifting. It's a lot of fun. And the stronger I get, I feel like the better it, it works for my bodybuilding goals, i.e. you know, physique. Anyway, how about your training, Danny? I'm actually making a shift in my training right now. So I've been doing um, DUP, which is daily undulating periodization, since October, I believe. And basically, I've been squatting and benching three times a week and deadlifting twice a week since October with less accessory work than I'm used to for bodybuilding specifically. And I feel like I've kind of maxed out what I can accomplish with that type of, of training program, at least at this point. Not that I dislike squatting or benching or deadlifting, but it was a lot and I just, I need some variety. So I'm going to start taking my training in a different direction starting tomorrow. Actually, I have my new uh, program laid out and I'll keep you guys posted on how that goes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing that. I think we'll be in a little more of a similar path with our style of training right now with the variations of the squat, bench, and deadlift to just get stronger with those big three and in general. So anyway, outside of training, well, I guess I do have a powerlifting, my first meet coming up in about four or five weeks. That's pretty much where my focus is on that as far as our own personal goals. But in general right now, I would say this is the quote-unquote off-season or improvement season, call it what you will, for both Danny and I. Mm -hmm. And for the both of us, this will have been, this will be the longest off-season that we have ever had because we've been doing the plant-built thing for going on three years now. What was it, 14? No. No, this is going on four years. Like this well, would this be would have been years. the fourth year yeah. in a row. And anyway, we competed every year with the team, but if you're constantly competing, you're going to have to spend a good portion of the year dieting, so to speak, in contest prep, whatnot. And, you know, you can't really make progress while you're on contest prep. You can only prevent yourself from losing your gains. Yeah, mostly. that's that's true. And I think that's something that not a lot of people realize is you don't make any progress hurt. You might make a little progress at the very beginning of your prep, but you don't make progress when you're prepping for a show. It's people, generally speaking, uh, most people do not get stronger or perform better in the gym the leaner they get. The only progress that you make is aesthetically, and even that is subjective because not everybody wants to look like that, um, but that's what you want to look like to compete in bodybuilding. So 
this is, like Giacomo said, the longest off-season either of us have had in four years. And it's kind of exciting. It's different. It's different to be going into the spring and the summer and not be consciously dieting. Yeah. I don't know about you, but after doing this three years in a row, like subconsciously, my mind keeps wandering off thinking that it's about to get into prep or just about to get ready for that kind of business. And it's not. So the shift to just continue to get stronger instead of being in contest prep, knowing that I'll look even better the next time I compete. Yeah, it's a little weird to see everybody around me. And, you know, a lot of my clients are in competition prep now. And a lot of people that I've competed with in the past are in competition prep right now. And I'm just over here like, I'm eating. I'm eating all the food. (laughs) I'm just over here eating. (laughs) So, I mean, there is a little bit. There's some good feelings about that. And there's some not so great feelings about that. But it's the decision that I made. And I think it's going to be the best for my health overall, but also for myself as a competitor in the sport, I'm going to come back better next time that I prep, like significantly better is the plan because how much muscle can you really build in a six month off season? Not very much. And if you have a six month off season, you know, you spend the first couple months of that, just mostly getting back what you lost. So, I mean, Really, the off-season, for most people, if they compete every year, it's a lot shorter than it seems like it is. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about the off-season or building or, as so many people have been calling it since, like, the 70s, bulking season. We're going to talk about that today. So the way we came to this topic actually was that I we went to go visit some family so I should back up I've had a lot of tragedies happen in my family over the past few months so that is part of the reason that we were going to visit family it was actually really awkward to have this conversation in the hospital visiting a dying family member but someone introduced us in the room to relatives that I had never even met before And they introduced us as, oh, they're the vegan bodybuilders, which is like wicked inappropriate to even bring up in a room where someone is passing away. That's not how you introduce people. (laughs) It was embarrassing. But, oh, these are the vegan bodybuilders. And this, this is your cousin. He's really into bodybuilding too. And then, you know, that immediately was like vegan bodybuilder makes people perk right up and have a lot of questions. And his very first question was like, well, how do you, how do you, build enough if all you're eating is vegan food and uh you know we it's so easy for us to stay in our little bubble of vegan like-minded friends that we forget that to other people we're still really like alien (laughs) so we figured it was something we could talk about because i know that's a question that a lot of people have about vegans that they just don't understand how the hell you can just eat plants and grow so he asked me that, and, you know, I thought about it. Um, my answer was kind of like, blah, 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 blah. well, I, I don't know, I just eat a lot. <laughs> Which wasn't, again, it was a really awkward situation in general, but that was, you know, not the not the best answer that I could have given, although that is really the truth. You know, when the goal is to build tissue in your body, it is not built from air. It's not built from 
water or workouts like tissue is made out of the food you eat so if you want to build more of it you need to eat more than your body needs to sustain itself where it is right now right and ultimately that tissue is going to be built based on how much more food you're eating first and foremost and it's like well i guess people just get used to what they're eating and they you know, they look at veganism as this sort of alien, foreign-like concept. And it's like, well, you guys just can't really eat anything. Because they look at the <laughs> standard American uh, diets and what's put on their plate. And they're like, all right, you know, meat, dairy, potatoes. and But I guess what people forget to look at is the fact that a fair amount of what they're eating is already plant-based, you know? Yeah. Pasta. Peanut Oats. butter and jelly, oatmeal, most cereals, uh, French fries. Like, there's a ton of vegan food out there. But I know that when people who are not vegan first hear the word vegan, they think of salad and things like that. They're thinking of very, very, very calorically light fare. And actually, funny thing, when I was, you know, thinking about this podcast earlier, just for shits and giggles, I looked up the most calorically dense foods that there are. And there was like the top 10 calorically dense foods. I didn't look to see like, how accurate this was, or how this list was made. But eight of the foods on this list were plant based foods, they were vegan foods. And I find that to be true. I find most very calorically dense foods to be vegan. It's just that you're not going to necessarily be able to walk into any restaurant USA and find these foods. They're not going to be at your average steakhouse, a lot of them anyway. Yeah. And I mean, if anything, the base of the food is generally vegan and then there's additives or seasonings that are put in it, whether it's, you know, a cheese or a butter or... Yeah, that's true. That's that is true. That's the biggest problem, I would mm-hmm. say. But if a person who's, you know, even a little bit nutritionally savvy can very easily find vegan sources just about anywhere. And if you're serious about bulking and getting into the sport of bodybuilding, you're probably going to be looking at your food pretty closely. I don't I wouldn't see that you'd have a problem finding all vegan sources of calorically dense food. Right. So before we get into like bulking and kind of building muscle off season improvement season, gaining phase, whatever you want to call it. For the sake of this podcast today, we're going to call it bulking, even though the way we do it may not fit with that particular term. But we'll get to that later, sort of how we go about bulking. And let's just talk about how anybody can bulk on a plant-based diet. So the first thing that comes to mind when you hear, I'm a vegan bodybuilder, what is the first thing that everybody asks you? Where do you get your protein, bro? And, I mean, how, how would you answer that? The answer to that question is really simple, actually. When you're in a caloric surplus, if anything, it's almost easy to get in too much protein. You only need a certain amount of protein, and it's an inferior source of energy. So, you know, everything has protein in it, whether it's Thank a be- you for saying that. Protein is an inferior source of energy. You know? And I think that a lot of people in like gym culture don't realize that, yes, protein is great. Yes, we take in a fair amount of it, but that's not what's like getting you through the day. Like <laughs> it's hard for your body to use protein as energy. It's hard for it to break it down. And anyway, continue. Sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. I used to be that person who was obsessed with protein. And so I get where the culture came from 
20-ish so years ago. And actually, it, it is getting a lot better for those that are deep into the fitness industry. We're all already realizing that the protein thing is way overblown. Vegan or not. Exactly. That's the thing. Vegan or not. We're all realizing that. However, that idea, that misconception is very much still out there and it has roots within the fitness industry. So it needs to be picked apart a little bit. And yes, protein is a something that people actually should be focusing on making sure they do not get too much of when they're in a caloric surplus. You know, and being a vegan, even with me pretty much picking and choosing whatever I want to eat when I'm taking in more calories than I, I need, I still find myself straying away from protein-dense foods because otherwise I'm just going to wind up getting in too much and I'd rather get carbs and fats because that's where the energy is going to come from and that's what's going to support my hormones. Yeah, so basically, obviously to be bulking, you need to be in a caloric surplus. That is the number one thing. That's the most important thing about bulking. You need to be eating more than you're burning, period. End of story. That is how you gain weight. And basically, regardless of what the macronutrient breakdown of those foods are, you're still going to gain weight. Maybe the amounts of weight that you gain will be slightly different depending on what you're eating, but you'll gain weight regardless. But what is going to give you the most bang for your buck as far as energy goes. And the energy is what's going to enhance your workouts and make your workouts really, really powerful. And the combination of that with the caloric surplus is what's going to generate the most muscle protein synthesis and muscle gain. So when we say focus on not getting too much protein in the off season, I think that's a little bit of a stretch, Giacomo. <laughs> well, I guess depending on the person. Yeah. It does depend on the person. I mean, I work with some people who come from a total like bodybuilding mentality background and they are eating a crap ton of protein, like way more than they need to be eating while they're trying to build muscle and their bodies would be better served to allocate a good chunk of those calories to carbohydrates and fats rather than, you know, 300 grams of protein. Now I want to say that the person newer to veganism, you might find that to be a little more common because they're a little worried about protein. No. Or, no. no. What? Absolutely Even people that have been not. vegan for a while are too hung up on it? Neither. Okay. It's rare, actually. What's what's more common in vegans is that they're not, that they're not aiming to get enough protein. Yep. But this is much less of an issue when you're building when you're building muscle. And it's funny how people outside of the, I mean, people just think protein is the most important aspect of building muscle. And while it is important, it is not the most important. Actually, keeping your protein high seems to be much more important when you're cutting than when you're building. 0.8 grams of protein per pound of lean body mass, or you could even do of body weight I mean, it's really not that huge of a difference for most people right there. 0.8 to 1 gram is plenty. It's plenty for building. Actually, I just lowered my protein by about 20 grams and allocated that to carbohydrates. And my protein is already lower now than it was when I was cutting. And then I lowered it even more. And, you know, everything's still going just fine because it's still ample protein. Right. And you could get in theoretically a little more than that, I guess, just for like insurance purposes to make sure you're getting in enough, but you wouldn't want to get in much more than that. That's pretty much where you want to be. But the question, where are you getting your protein? 
Like, how are you doing this, basically? What is this sorcery that you're employing to get enough protein as a vegan? And really, when you're in a building phase, you don't have to focus too much on protein foods. Like I said, that 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of lean body mass, or if you want to work on the higher end of body weight, is plenty. You don't have to focus so much on just protein-specific foods the same way you would probably have to as you're cutting. So, I mean, yeah, you can eat tofu, tempeh, seitan, mock meats, anything like that, but you don't need to put a huge emphasis on them. Yeah. Because all of the other foods that you're eating, there's protein, albeit different amounts, in everything. Almost everything has some protein in it. And when you're eating over your caloric maintenance, you're going to be getting a lot of protein from quote-unquote non-protein foods. It's going to add up to be a pretty significant number. That being said, I do think that there's a little bit of dietary dogma, a little too much for my liking within the vegan community itself when it comes to protein. And I think that it is demonized way more than it should be. And I would say, if anything, looking at it from my perspective, I would say the majority of vegans who are into fitness, specifically those who are looking to become stronger, could stand to benefit from upping their protein a little bit. Yeah, there is a, there is a good amount of dietary dogma in the vegan community, but I think that's changing also. I've noticed it um, from the vegan bodybuilding and nutrition group. They've really, the admins in that group have done a phenomenal job of like really not letting shit slide when people say some stupid, yeah. <laughs> stupid thing without any uh, science or data to back it up at all. The admins are like on that shit to I be like, it. wait, no, that's not true. Show me. I think I, I have seen a shift in uh, in the community, in a large part of the community, and I think a lot of it has to do with that group. So if you're not part of that group, we've mentioned it before, um, highly recommend it, vegan bodybuilding and nutrition. So let's talk beyond the protein. Let's get beyond the protein because as we've kind of hammered home, it's really not that hard to do in the building season. I'll, I'll, I'll throw myself out there as an example right now. I'm getting 150 grams of protein a day and... I'm not eating a whole lot in the way of protein specific foods. I mean, not nearly as much as I was when I was cutting, when it was like that had to be a huge focus. Now I do have some seitan that we make here and I love Beyond Meat, but I've cut way, way back on it because at the end of the day, I don't want to be over my protein. So 150 grams a day for me is easy because I'm eating so much food. <laughs> So let's talk about some of those other things because when you get deeper into building muscle or bulking, your your metabolism is going to adapt. The same way that it adapts to slow down as you drop weight, it does speed up as you continue to feed yourself more and more. And basically, you have to stay one step ahead of it. And eventually, you feel like you're eating a lot <laughs> of food. And uh, sometimes it's hard, actually, to eat a lot of food. Uh, not really for me personally, because I can always eat, but I know a lot of people who just get so sick of eating so early on. So let's talk about some really calorically dense vegan foods, because when you get to that point, that's going to be the easiest way to hit your calorie goal without eating yourself sick. So some just going to rattle off some foods that are really calorically dense, uh, peanut butter, that's a huge one, peanut butter, nuts and seeds all along the same vein. Um, grains, any sort of grain, grain or dried beans, like they are 
touted as being pretty low calorie, but they're not. They're not really. They're actually pretty calorically dense. So um, things like rice, quinoa, pasta, um, lentils, breads can actually be very helpful when you're getting to that point where you're eating a lot and trying to find a way to cram in the calories. Breads will do it, bagels, things like that. Avocados, super dense dense uh, fats and carbs and fiber and vitamins and minerals. Coconut, that's a good one. Um, chocolate, yams or sweet potatoes. This is another one that gets touted as a low calorie food a lot of the time. But uh, yams, like yams and sweet potatoes get spoken of interchangeably. But most of us, when we think sweet potatoes, we're thinking of the orangey yellow ones. And those are actually yams. And very, 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 very calorically dense, very carb dense. And you can like bake a whole, bake like a medium sized yam, eat it with a spoon. And that's like 50 or 60 grams of carbs right there. Super easy. Dates, very calorically dense and small. So you can just slam them. Bananas, uh, any dried fruit. And then I don't personally eat a lot of oil just because I like to eat my food rather than, you know, I would just rather eat a handful of nuts than have some oil. But if you're having a hard time, really, you can drizzle some olive oil on your food and that'll bump your calories up really fast as well. And this is like a list of relatively quote unquote clean foods. As anybody who's been vegan for more than five minutes knows that there's like an endless list of vegan junk food that is incredibly calorie dense. And while you obviously shouldn't make this the bulk of your diet because micronutrients (laughs) and food quality is actually important. So it's good to make sure that you're getting in a lot of micronutrient dense foods. If you're getting in a lot of micronutrient dense foods already and you're still having trouble reaching your caloric goals, put some put some junkier food in there. It's going to help you as counterintuitive as that seems, it will. Yeah, you know, I mean the micronutrient dense stuff tends to be very fibrous and very voluminous and you only need so much of it. And to expand a little bit on what Danny's saying, Yes, there are a ton of different food choices, and everyone has a place. Like junk food, so to speak, and I hate using the word junk because I don't consider it junk food. It's just processed, heavily sweetened, calorically dense food that you can just eat a lot of, basically. And in moderation, obviously, would be best. But it has its place because of those strong flavors and the fact that it's so calorically dense it could get you interested in eating more when you're already eating a ton of food, you know? I mean, what's easier to have? Uh, a small sandwich? Or you're going to make fun of me for saying sandwich that way. <laughs> I see you. I see your face. Whatever. So, you know, a small sandwich that has a ton of calories or a giant plate of salad that has the same amount of calories. A sandwich is going to be a lot easier to get down. Then there's some other tricks that you can do. Smoothies. Smoothies are a godsend for people who have trouble getting in a ton of calories because you can just chug it and before your hunger singles tell you that you're full, you've already gotten all that food in and you don't have to sit there and chew it for the next five to ten minutes. You can just chug that shake in and you like Danny said, you know, if you need to, you can toss some coconut oil in there. You can put beans in a smoothie. Beans in a smoothie. You can cook up a sweet potato and blend it. Believe you me, it's freaking delicious, actually. Yeah, so basically, if you go back to our 10 tips for fat loss, uh, that podcast, and just (laughs) reverse everything that we said on that, 
uh, you'll get this podcast. So I always recommend when people are dieting that they do not drink any of their calories because it is not satisfying. It is not satiating. Um, it should be saved for times when you're really, really crunched for time or you're in that kind of a situation. When you're trying to build muscle and you have a hard time getting in a lot of food, drink the shit out of your calories <laughs> because like Giacomo says, you sort of trick your stomach into getting in a lot more calories before you can eat, before your mind can even protest. Yeah, but bear in mind, you want to be putting things in there that are calorically dense. You don't want to be having 64 Strawberries and spinach? Strawberries and spinach to complain you can't bulk because your stomach hurts. Well, of course your stomach hurts. You just shot in like 200 grams of fiber into your system in an hour. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, you know? uh, it's, it is important. You know, there's no magic superfoods that help you build muscle. There's no magic superfoods that help you burn fat. But you can make smart choices by choosing more calorically dense foods when you're trying to build muscle and choosing less calorically dense foods when you're trying to lose weight. Um, there's nothing special about either group of food other than that you get more or less calories per gram. And when you're aiming to build muscle, you should not be eating you know, bags and bags and bags of lettuce to reach your caloric goals and then complaining that you just can't eat that much. Well, you probably should check out your food choices. That's going to be the easiest place for you to make switches that are going to make your life way, way easier. Yeah. So become sort of an expert at finding out what foods are seemingly identical, but one has more calories than the other. And that shit will add up real fast. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll use yams as, a, as an yes. example again. Everybody thinks, you know, when you think super clean, typical bro bodybuilder diet, you think sweet potatoes, like everybody eats sweet potatoes and yams when they're leaning out. White potatoes, regu the regular old russert, <laughs> actually has way fewer carbohydrates and calories per gram than the good old yam does, which is crazy because white potatoes are always like demonized as, as though they're going to make you fat because they're so carby, when in reality sweet potatoes and yams have way more carbs than white potatoes do. So I love them both personally, but it's, it's just one of those things. Don't take everything that you see, uh, in, you know, articles online and on the cover of magazines. Like you would think if something makes the cover of a goddamn magazine, there has to be some truth to it. But a lot of times upon further inspection, these foods that they're touting as healthy yeah, they're healthy. Of course a sweet potato is healthy. Of course an avocado is healthy, but that's not going to, that's not like a weight loss food. You'd be better off to eat something that's less calorie dense because it's going to make you feel fuller and better for longer. I hate that. I hate that when people look at whole foods that are healthy for you in moderation, but people feel like they're these quote unquote clean foods and healthy foods and like, well, I'm just going to eat a ton of them because the more healthy and clean whole foods I eat, the healthier I'll become. And I'm like, well, you could do that. But 5,000 calories a day later, you're probably going to be a person who eats a ton of quote unquote healthy, clean foods. And don't be surprised when you gain weight. But for the sake of bulking and building, that's what we're looking for, right? Bulking. So how much weight should people be looking to gain? Because I think this is important. And... There's a lot of different schools of thought on this, and I think Giacomo and I may differ a tad. So a little bit. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Mike, you know this is going to depend one on the individual's personal desires with how much weight they want to gain, and two, you know how much 
weight do you need to gain to be in a muscle gaining phase, basically? And I guess we do sort of differ here a little bit. I feel like you can be a little more conservative with the amount of weight that you need to gain and the amount of calories that you need to be in a surplus of to gain muscle at a good rate. Whereas I think that Danny thinks Danny feels a little more strongly towards being in a larger caloric surplus. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily know that I would say that, I guess how much weight you should look to gain. There's a few things that come into play here. And one is what are you coming from? Are you coming off of a competition diet? Because that's going to be a completely different answer than somebody who's just started working out and their initial goal is to build muscle. Uh, If someone is coming off of a competition diet, let's say someone is going into the off season. If you got to be to a competitive leanness for your competition, you're going to need to put some weight on. You're just going to have to put some weight on. And that that may be a little bit um, controversial, I guess, based on what I'm hearing a lot of in the much larger fitness community, not the vegan fitness community. A lot of people look to um, reverse diet out of a competition diet, which we've actually done a podcast on reverse dieting. And we might do a follow-up on that because some of my opinions on this have changed. And, uh, you know, the goal in theory, is to build your calories back up to a much healthier place without gaining weight, really. And as far as I can see, that doesn't work very well. Uh, As far as the weight not changing, getting someone's calories back up slowly, I think that's great. Um, But the idea that you should be doing it without a weight change, I don't think is very realistic. I just, especially, especially for female bodies, they, most of them should not be staying stage lean. It is not good for them. You, you should be looking to sort of recover your body right away from this kind of hellacious state <laughs> that you just put it in. And that's going to equal some initial weight gain. And that amount of weight gain is going to be different for every person. And I say mostly for women, but I also think that most men shouldn't, they shouldn't stay stage lean either. You know, guys can obviously stay leaner than most women can, but stage lean, eh. Like most people should be ready and willing to put some weight back on after a competition. You know, not the next not the next day. You don't want to gain 15 10 to 15 pounds in a day, but over the next few weeks you should be willing and able put on put some weight back on because it's it's important for your overall health. Right. And I think this is the part where our opinions may differ a little bit. And it is sort of controversial. I don't think there's any particular hard and fast rule. But there is is some merit to Danny's point of view on this. And I think there is some merit to the opposite. And I guess the thing of the, the easiest way to put this. So basically, you know, you're getting out of a contest and your hormones are jacked up. Your metabolism is basically screeched to a halt and you are in the danger zone. You have no energy. This is unsustainable and an unhealthy place to be in. What do you do? Do you A, get to a healthier place within, say, three to six weeks? Or do you B, stretch that out over, say, two to six months? You know, how long do you stay in this position where your body is sort of treading water? You know, obviously the downside to taking longer to get out of the danger zone is that you're spending longer 
of a period of time with your hormones not being fully recovered, with your body not being in an optimal position for muscle gain, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, is it worth the trade-off? Is it worth minimizing the amount of fat gain? Is it worth taking a longer period of time to get yourself back up to a healthy level? I say no. And I kind of say yes, actually. I think as far as like the long term goes with your body composition and getting your body composition to a more competitive place in the future, I kind of, as far as my own, drawing from my own personal experience, I think that it could work in your favor. I disagree with you for a lot of people. For some people, I think you're correct. But again, this is a topic. I mean, we could do a whole podcast debate. Giacomo and I could debate each other on this topic (laughs) uh, as a full podcast. So if anybody wants to hear me and Giacomo go at it, uh, let us know because we're more than happy to do that podcast. But I mean, I think we can both agree that after a show, you're going to gain more weight trying to build muscle than, you know, somebody who's just started working out. If somebody has, if someone's just starting to work out and their first goal is I want to build muscle, a lot of times if they're already in a healthy body weight range, um, you know, the, the quote unquote normal body weight range for their height, then their weight is probably not going to change much, but they could still be building muscle because there's this magical time in the beginning where people seem to sort of change their body composition by building lean muscle mass and losing fat simultaneously without a whole lot of changes on the scale. So that's an example of building muscle without actually focusing on weight gain. If you've been training for a long time and you're shifting your goal to building muscle, or if you are underweight and looking to just grow, that's when we're going to be looking for changes on the scale, specifically as indicators of progress. I would say at the bare minimum, at least a half a pound to a pound and a half a month. Because I would say a pound a week. If you're gaining a pound of a pound a week, that is a good, that's a good goal for somebody who's underweight, who's just looking to get bigger. For somebody who's been training for a long time and their goal is to build muscle, Anything from a half a pound to a pound a week, I think, is a good range. If you're gaining more than that, then you're probably gaining mostly body fat, which for the underweight person could be perfectly okay. Um, If the goal is just to get their body weight up into the normal range, then at that point, yes, ideally it would be great if everything that you built was muscle, but you know, a lot of times it's just about getting that number on the scale up to a healthier place. And whether that's 50-50 fat and muscle, then that then that's what it is. You can you can jump the scale up a little bit faster in that particular scenario without much worry. And for for a female, I would say that you should probably cut those numbers in half. But give yourself a little bit more leeway because unlike male bodies, female bodies hormones fluctuate a lot throughout the month. And with that comes different amounts of water retention and sometimes bloating and the scale can just be a lot more fickle for a female is is what I have have noticed you know men's weight usually changes in a fairly linear fashion but women's usually doesn't so what you're looking for is a trend over time so I would say look for an average 
an average of anywhere from one to two pounds gained in a month. And as long as you're eating sufficient protein and adequate calories and training hard, you know, that's sort of the magic formula for making sure that the majority of what you're gaining is muscle. But that's not to be said that when you've stopped gaining weight and you've gotten to the point where that's the amount of weight that you want to cap yourself off at, body weight. That's not to say that you can't still be bulking, you know? I mean, bulking means that you're still gaining muscle and you're in a caloric surplus. Yeah, eventually, eventually in a proper bulk or a proper building phase, the rate of gain is going to slow down. It's going to slow way, way, way down. And that's okay. That's normal because as we discussed way back in like episode two of this podcast, you can only gain so much muscle as a natural athlete in a year. So when you see somebody who, you know, gained 30 pounds on their bulk and they think that it's all muscle, it is probably not all muscle. In fact, it's probably mostly fat that they gained um, in that fast and that hard and heavy of a bulk. Unless they, you know, unless they bulked for two or three years, then that would make more sense. You know, 30 pounds could be mostly muscle in two or three years, depending on how trained the person is. Yeah. Or they're on the sauce or just taking some sort of like special performance supplements. But that that's that's one of the things that um that's one of the mistakes people make when they're bulking. And I think both Giacomo and I can agree on that, even if we disagree on um, to what degree this happens. Um, you know, just eating whatever you want as much as you want. The the seafood diet, as people say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just like the perma bulk. It's like, well, if I'm not gaining weight, I'm not bulking. Right. You know, and that's my fear when we talk about the amount of weight gain over time. Eventually, it should slow down, even sort of come to a halt, but you're still in a surplus, so you're still bulking. You don't have to just keep gaining weight to be bulking. However, if you're truly in a surplus, if you're truly in a surplus, you're going to continue gaining weight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, that is the, that is how you gain weight is when you're in a surplus. If you're not gaining weight, that's your new maintenance, right? I, I get. I guess so. That's your metabolism has upregulated itself to match what you're giving it for food. Anyway, it's very, very fascinating. There's no, there's no one right answer to this. But basically, when you're bulking, you want to be gaining weight slowly. In general, slowly. You know, if you see a 10 pound jump in a week, slow way, way, way back down. Um, but that actually leads me to my next thing and you just said the same thing kind of whether you realize it or not one of the big mistakes that i see a lot of people make when they're bulking uh, men and women this is not gender specific by any stretch uh, is they freak out they kind of freak out when the scale jumps and you know they if sometimes you're going to have weeks sometimes you're going to have weeks when you're bulking where the scale does jump more than you want it to You know, I'm saying a half a pound for a female and a pound for a male. And sometimes it's just going to jump. It's going to jump, you know, two or three pounds in a week. And you're going to be like, whoa, no, I just gained all this fat Ah," and freak out. And that's not necessarily true. Again, these things are not linear. So don't freak out. (laughs) Don't freak out. But what happens is a lot of people see the weight gain, freak out, especially if you're gaining weight fast. It's just not comfortable. Um, it's, it's not a good feeling, uh, physically, you know, when your body changes quickly, whether you're gaining weight or losing weight, it just doesn't feel good. 
but when you see the scale jump and you freak out and then most people immediately feel like, oh no, well now I have to cut. I can't do this anymore. I have to cut. Um, Giacomo, go ahead and, and speak on that. I think you're a good person to speak on it because I think you actually are quite a bit hesitant to see the scale jump. So why don't we talk about that? I don't know if I'm hesitant to see the scale jump up in a sense that that I'm afraid of the weight gain itself. Like if I thought that the weight gain would be purely muscle, well, sh- shit, jump the scale up as many pounds as you can possibly imagine. I think it's just a matter for me. It's like I always wonder, am I going to be gaining the right amount of muscle and fat gain? You know, I'm not afraid to gain fat. I know that you have to gain some fat to gain muscle, but I also know speaking for myself as a well-trained athlete, that the amount of muscle that I can gain, my returns have diminished exponentially. I mean, I've been training consistently for almost four years now. So it's like if I can only gain, I don't know, maybe my on an amazing year, five pounds of muscle, you know, how much weight am I going to want to gain over the course of a year? Obviously, I want to gain more than five pounds to gain that five pounds of muscle. But do I want to gain 20 pounds? Probably not. That's all. But I think that you're looking at it too clinically because, okay, let's say it's a great year and you can gain five pounds of muscle. Well, muscle also stores water. So now we're looking at closer to 10 pounds right there of scale weight, et cetera, et cetera. Like it is, it's not, it doesn't equate on the scale the way that you're thinking about it. And I think that it's not just you. I mean, I see it all the time when people gain weight and they know deep down that their goal is to build muscle, but that doesn't make seeing the scale jump any more comfortable. And I get it because I feel the same way. I, it is uncomfortable to gain weight and it's mentally uncomfortable to feel like, because it does feel like you're undoing all your progress. Obviously that's not true. Your muscle that you've worked hard and built is all still there. And hopefully there's even more, but you are literally covering it up over time with, you know, fat gain and water gain. And it is not the look that most bodybuilders are going for. And I totally, totally get that. But you need to look at the bigger goal. The bigger goal, which is, you know, why we're taking this super long off season in the first place is to come back better, to come back bigger and more muscular next year. And with that comes scale weight gain. And this is what I have to explain to so, so many clients is that now I know that I know it feels like you're not making progress. I know maybe it even feels like you're backpedaling in your progress, but I promise you that this is going to pay off. I promise you that when it comes time to get ready for this competition or when we switch gears and focus more on fat loss, all this work that you put in, all this discomfort that you're going through right now, it's going to pay off and it's going to make you appreciate, it's going to make you appreciate your larger body also. And I think that that is incredibly valuable to be able to see how much value there is in your body, even when it's larger, even when it's taking up more space, like that is what's going to get you to your end goal. Because remember, like we said at the very beginning, you do not make progress when you're cutting. Your body is so much more valuable when it's larger. I mean, when you're sort of, I guess, well, for the purpose of 
an example, when you're ready for the stage, your body's pretty much useless. I mean, it can do just about <laughs> nothing but maybe sleep. Uh, wear about seven layers of blankets. And I don't know, maybe you can like stand up every once in a while. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think where a lot of people miss the mark and they, they don't realize is, like you said, the whole gear shifting, when you'll see all these things come to fruition, uh, these larger bodies, the amounts what you're doing when you're dialing in everything properly is very, very temporary. The amount of water that you're holding, the amount of glycogen that your body is storing because you're, you're in a feeding phase, all these things could be manipulated inside of like, I don't know, two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, people don't understand that, that what they have on the inside, you know, can be exposed and shown, you know, as far as like their physique fast. But the only way to build that up is to be in, you know, to have a larger body, to have, you know, to be eating a surplus of carbohydrates, fats, food in general, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I know. I'm talking to you, well, buddy. Talk, no, I, I get it. <laughs> but I, I understand what you're doing here. I mean, you're, you're reaching out to a wider audience as opposed to just like one person. And I don't want someone to look at what I'm doing and say, well, shit, that's, you know, they misinterpret it, so to speak. So like, the, you know, for most... People, I think the way that you have to look at things and understand it is that basically, you know, however you're looking when you're in a, a bulk and caloric surplus, if you're doing it the right way, you're, you haven't gained a shit ton of weight that's going to take months and months to, to cut. I would say that, you know, a, a shit ton of weight is going to be different for every person. Yes. I mean, for a big dude, for a 200-pound guy... You know, 15-pound gain is nothing. It is nothing. But for a petite woman, a 15-pound gain, that's a decent amount of weight to put on. Um, and not that it's a bad amount of weight. I think that I think that a 15-pound gain in a bulk is absolutely fine. I think it's totally, totally fine. And again, because the scale weight is going to be so different than what is actually going on in your body and how quickly you can manipulate it. I mean, you hear people when they... I'm, I'm saying this very wrong, but you hear people the week that they start cutting, like, oh, I've been cutting for a week and I'm down eight pounds. Do you think they lost eight pounds of fat in a week? Hell no, they didn't. That was just a manipulation of carbs and water. That's what it is. Uh, and that that's what's going on in your body. A large part of the weight that you do gain when you're bulking, it's not real. And that's the thing. People... Excuse me, but people think that it's real. People think that eight pounds... That well, it doesn't really matter if it's real or not because if you're uncomfortable in your skin, you're uncomfortable in your skin. But you I, know what I mean? I do know what you mean, but I think people would feel a little more comfortable knowing that that's not... You know, that what they're wearing on their skin is actually helping them fuel themselves and have an overall better look year-round. Yeah, I agree. And we can intellectualize this all day, but when someone's uncomfortable they're uncomfortable. And I guess my take home point is that bulking is uncomfortable. Dieting is uncomfortable. Like they're both uncomfortable <laughs> just in, in their different ways. But the difference is when you're seeing results, when you're dieting, that's motivation to keep going. When you're seeing results, when you're bulking, a lot of times that's motivation to get petrified and stop. Yeah. I'd say so. I'd have to agree with you. So I guess my, my takeaway is to not be afraid of the scale weight gain. You want to gain weight relatively slowly, but it's it's a good thing overall. It's a good thing and embrace it. Use that extra weight 
to have some friggin' killer workouts because you're going to your strength. If everything, if you're doing everything right, your strength is going to go through the roof. And that is probably one of the most fun things about bulking. Anyway, we certainly rattled on about that a lot. So <laughs> the first half of this was about how to bulk as a vegan. And the second half is just how to bulk and Jack Moni bickering. But <laughs> on to our product review segment for today's podcast. This is something I've been waiting for for a while, actually. When, when we started carrying Jeff Palmer's products, the Clean Machine line, he came out, I guess, I think it was the first product he came out with. No, the second one, the uh, his branch chain amino acids, Clean BCAAs. It was the first vegan certified branch chain amino acid supplement on the market. Not to say that there weren't other plant-based aminos out there. This was just the only one that was just basically going through all the motions and making sure that no matter what, they would only source plant-based amino acids. The other ones, you know, there would be some aminos sourced from, believe it or not, human hair and duck feathers. And to most people, I guess that wouldn't be an issue, but obviously there is a moral dilemma right there. Or a lot of a lot of factories would just use whatever was available and cheapest at the time. Exactly. So you never really knew for sure if it was going to be vegan or not. So, but when it came to Jeff, he wanted to make sure that every single time he went to restock and source that he checked his source. And I applaud him for being a pioneer in the market and I will forever be loyal to his, his supplement line because I can trust it. You know, we don't want to carry anything that we don't trust. Anyway, he's also pretty particular about what he adds to his formulas and he likes to use... He doesn't like to use any artificial sweeteners or anything of that nature uh, for the purpose of that's just the way he prefers to do things. Taste-wise, it's better for your overall gut health to consume fewer to no artificial sweeteners and what have you. Um, But doing that, you know, it does take a while to come out with the right formula. And finally, I guess this just arrived on Friday. He has a fruit punch flavored BCAA blend. And the coloring comes from beetroot powder. And the flavor comes from the beetroot and I guess a little bit of citric acid. Anyhow, all I know is this stuff is delicious. I tried it. I enjoy it. I'm happy it finally exists. We did a pre-order and now we have it available at Vegan Proteins. Yeah, we have been big fans of the Clean Machine BCAAs for a long time um, for the quality of the product. But the original product, it isn't really that great tasting. It's bitter. I mean, they're amino acids. They taste like amino acids and they're, they're bitter. Um, so if you're putting it in, in a different drink, then you can't really tell at all. But if you're drinking them on their own, it can be a little rough sometimes to get them down, but we you know, take them cause they're the best quality BCAAs out there. But this one, now that it's fruit flavored, fruit punch flavored, uh, it's, it's great. It tastes, it tastes great. You can just mix it with water and it, uh, tastes like a fancy drink. And that's the thing. I'm happy that it's something that you can take with you on the go and you don't have to worry about mixing it with something else. You could just mix it with water and you're good. Now it's time to take some questions. Today's question, first question I should say, comes from Instagram from at powerliftingvegan. I'm just getting into your podcast and I dig it. Would love to hear your thoughts on the biological value of proteins like seitan and tofu. For example, when people say seitan has a low BV, 
Is this just a complete protein argument in disguise? Anything to be concerned about? Thanks. Yeah, it is basically a complete proteins argument in disguise. When they talk about bioavailability of proteins, what they're talking about is the nine essential amino acids and how much of it each food contains in the proper ratio to be on on its own to be um, absorbed by the body. And as we know, things like tofu, tempeh, seitan, mock meats, they do contain all nine of the essential amino acids. It's just that they contain them in different ratios, basically. So if all you ate all day long was seitan every day, then maybe you'd have something to worry about as far as the bioavailability of seitan not being so great because of the low leucine content. But most of us don't eat just one food all the time. You know, we eat a wide variety of foods and that gives us an overall amino acid profile that is much, much better than just looking at tofu by itself. I know, I don't, I don't really understand how this argument came up in the first place other than maybe just to make plant-based proteins seem like they're garbage in in comparison to animal-based proteins. But even people who eat animal proteins are eating other foods, so it seems kind of irrelevant. And uh, obviously vegans eat a much wider variety of food than the average standard American dieter. So overall, no, you don't have to worry about the biological value of a vegan protein source. If you look it up, it's going to look like it's pretty scary and it's pretty low comparatively to like eggs and fish and chicken. They've done a few studies recently that in the last couple of years that were pretty good. They did a double blind comparison of, I believe it was rice protein versus whey protein as far as muscle protein synthesis, I believe is what they were looking for. I will have to double check it. Okay, so they measured how they built muscle and experienced rates of repair and soreness. So they were basically comparing how the body responded to rice protein and whey protein. And they responded equally, roughly. I mean, they used more, they equated for protein grams, which means they had to use more grams of rice protein then they had to use grams of whey protein because, for example, a 30-gram scoop of whey protein has like 28 grams of protein, but a 30-gram scoop of brown rice protein has like 21 grams of protein. So they equated for protein, made sure the amount of protein they were getting was equal, and when the protein was equal, the repair was equal, and the rates of muscle building was equal. And they just recently did a very similar study of pea protein versus whey protein, and they were looking at muscle building specifically and also found them to be equal. So like we kind of mentioned earlier, even the non-vegan side of fitness is sort of coming around to the idea of plant-based proteins and not putting so much emphasis on protein as well. So that's a very long-winded way of saying, don't worry about the biological value of your protein. Okay. Our next question is actually one from a client of mine, and um, I she didn't ask this for the podcast, but I just thought it was a good question, and I figured I'd put it on the podcast here. So my question is, how is it that even though I have worked out for a long period of time since I was younger, I've never been able to see great results? Do you think it's because of the food? 
I've worked out before, but like I mentioned, I tend to either lose my motivation or like comparisons with others put me down, resulting in a lack of motivation. Do you think that is also why I haven't achieved my goals? Basically, she's asking, she's been working out for a long time. Why, why, why is she not reaching her goals? She's been working out for a long time, but I guess the first question would be, has she been working out consistently? Because that is how you're going to have the best results. You know, if, if I were to work out for a year straight, you know, and I wanted my body to look the way it would ultimately look in five years, but I didn't continue working out, you know, I'm not going to reach that. And if I take six months of rest in between the workout for a year again, I'm just going to constantly be in this phase where I'm just treading water. So number one, the best way to get the results that you truly want is to stick with it and to, to not have a lapse in training. Because the second you stop training, I mean, you can start losing your progress pretty fast, actually. Your body does not want to hold on to that added muscle that you've built that will tr ultimately transform your physique into the look that you want. The other thing is, you know, as far as what you're eating and the food that you're getting in, uh, you really want to concentrate on making sure that you're getting in the right foods and sometimes I would say, well, you know, whether it's woman or man in general, we wind up eating either too much or too little, you know, as far as like, well, you know what, people who are trying to have like that, I don't know, defined look, conditioned look, however you want to call it. Toned. Toned look. <laughs> I'd say the focus on there is probably... Er, you know, erring on having consuming too few cal too few calories to gain the muscle, and then they are like, well, okay, I kind of look good, but I want to look even better. So naturally, I'm going to start dieting now. So they've never really eaten enough to build the muscle that they'll need to hold on to when they're dieting down to achieve that look, and then they start dieting down, and the body has nothing to work with. So they just wind up, you know, being I guess for lack of a better word, underweight. You know? Well, their body has nothing to work with. They're not seeing the results they want to see. They get frustrated and go out and eat a pizza. Mm -hmm. And then they've sabotaged their goals, or at least they feel like they've sabotaged their goals. And the cycle repeats. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is really, really common. And I feel like it's people get stuck in this hamster wheel of wanting to be toned and it equates to basically you, in order to get results, you need to have a few like puzzle pieces in place. And one of them is your training. It needs to be consistent. Like Giacomo said, on and off training is not going to get you very far. Um, and your food, your food intake needs to be in line with whatever your goals are at that time. And I think defining your goals before you even start is really, really important. Because saying something like, I want to be toned, that's not specific enough. You know, uh, that doesn't tell me if you want to get bigger, if you want to get smaller, which, you know, that that's important stuff to know. And your training needs to be pointing to that goal. Your food needs to be pointing to that goal. And then also your lifestyle needs to be pointing to that goal. It's really hard to achieve an ambitious fitness goal when your lifestyle is a crazy ball of stress, for example. Uh, if you're not able to get enough sleep at night and if every part of your life is sort of chaotic, then achieving your goals is going to be a lot harder. And that means you need to tighten up even more on the other two puzzle pieces, which would be the food and the training. 
So really, it's like a trifecta of things that need to be going on to achieve goals. But I think the blanket over these three puzzle pieces needs to be patience. A lot of times we want to see results in two to three weeks. We want to we be seeing changes as soon as we start putting the effort in. We want to be able to see it pay off. And when we don't, we get frustrated and just say, screw it and walk away from the goal entirely until a couple months later, you're like, oh yeah, I did this. I had this goal once. I'm going to try that again. And the cycle continues. So I'm not saying that's what's going on with this particular client. I just think it's a really great question that I think many of us have been in that position at one point or another. And having been in that position myself for several years and finally seeing what had to click to actually get results. And they were consistency in all aspects and patience. All right, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Vegan Proteins Muscles by Brussels Radio. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We're at Vegan Proteins and also at Muscles by Brussels. And you can also leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get this out to more people, and it pops up higher in people's iTunes list so that more people can learn about veganism and fitness. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. My name is Danny. And I'm Giacomo. And we will talk to you soon. 